0: Uh, maybe I've developed it a bit over the years, but definitely been a been a running theme for me through my my 20s is, you know, I think about the future and I live in the now. And to expand on that a little bit more, I mean, every every decision I make is is analytical on, you know, whether it's a cup of coffee or or a vacation or buying a, a new toy or, or whatever. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, how much joy is this bringing me today versus what it could cost me in the future. And the second part of that is living the now I mean, I do really enjoy what I'm doing. I I, I enjoy it pretty much every day. I mean, there's always, you know, the odd rough day here or there. But um, I mean, my outlook on life, I enjoy when I'm at work, I look forward to the work week, I look forward to the weekends, I look forward to our holidays.
1: Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. will unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 289. Stace, how's it going?
2: Going well over here.
1: So we were talking. We just wrapped up Easter yesterday. So happy! Hope everyone had a good Easter yesterday. And I decided to dig in a little bit on the economics of Easter. It's pretty mind blowing, actually. I had no idea how much, you know, we as a country spend on this holiday. So the, the, the big figure is we basically go through 180 million Easter eggs, which is insane. 83% of families in America participate in Easter egg hunt. And I guess we were part of that because we did one for our family, but we also took our kids to an Easter egg hunt. I got a text from Stace on Friday night that there was this helicopter drop of Easter eggs It was like 80,000 eggs. I'm like, what? This seems like a joke, like some prank, right? Sure enough, we showed up and they were dropping 80,000 plus Easter eggs from helicopter, which was absolutely insane. And so we were, I guess I thought 80,000 was a lot, but we think about 180 million eggs every year. That is absolutely crazy the other startling i don't know if it's startling but the the, the crazy fact about easter is the average family spends about 170 dollars on easter between food and gifts and eggs and all sorts of stuff so actually sorry the average person spent who celebrates easter spends 170 dollars so i guess for the family of, of four i'm assuming this is yeah. i guess for the family of four you know you're spending what 680 dollars that seems insane to me but
2: under budget, under budget, right here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. The, the kids had a great time though. You just need to hide a few plastic eggs and they're good to go. Like, you don't even have to give them anything. But anyway, pretty pretty wild. I think the other interesting fact, hun, 81% of parents steal their candy from their children's. Did you steal any candy from my kids?
2: I <laughs> did actually tonight. <laughs>
1: I, I was looking too. for a
2: Twix, but the only Twix I saw was a uh, the Twix egg, and I only gave the kids one of those, so I thought I'd get found out. So it was a Hershey's Nugget, which was not as good as the Twix egg would have been. So a little bit of remorse on my choice, but I was trying to work quickly under pressure.
1: Yeah. Well, at any rate, maybe uh, Jimmy Kimmel will start doing uh, uh, you know, an Easter egg or Easter candy prank instead of just Halloween. This is another interesting fact. I don't know if we didn't do any chocolate bunnies this year, but seventy-eight percent
2: actually Oh you did I did too. Oh, okay. yeah one like mini Lent chocolate bunny I had to do lent because it's my favorite and there came five in a pack and we have three kids so the leftovers obviously needed to be high quality for me personally.
1: Hmm. Let me let me throw this out to you. So seventy-eight percent of Americans eat what first of the bunny.
2: I feel like the ears are a safe choice.
1: Yep. 78% eat the ears first, eleven percent eat the tail. And eleven percent eat the uh, the feet. So,
2: if, th- if this were a multiple choice exam, I am knocking it out of the park. I must ah. say.
1: <laughs> oh man, good times. Anyway, I hope everybody had a great Easter. We got a great show today. We have got Kyle. He's got a net worth of a million bucks. He uh, he's twenty nine years old. So one of our younger millionaires. He's got a, his own business in the heavy equipment space and and does a little bit of farming as well. And uh, yeah, it's split between cash, home equity, his business, and, and retirement accounts. So a great interview with with Kyle, especially for how much success he's had at such a young age and just the mindset that uh, he's been able to develop. And it's going to be a great interview. I'm super uh, super stoked for this one. So last week we had Lane. He had a net worth of uh, $10 million plus. About 90% of that was in real estate. He started his career as a civil in- industrial engineer and started buying rental properties in '09. So go check out that. It's episode number 288. would like to be on the show, reach out to us, millionairesinveiled at gmail.com. Always looking for new guests. If you haven't heard your story, please reach out. I know there's several professions that I don't think I've we've had. I don't know. There's a bunch of things I can think of that, I guess, professions that we, I mean, all sorts of different medical we haven't had on, all sorts of different, you know, I guess legal. We've had a couple, but not as many as I, you know, probably would have expected. Depending on what kind of law is practiced, and you know, some of those that people have to take on, you know, a lot more schooling and student debt. We just haven't, at least, definitely not lately either. I don't know, I don't know where they're at. Where are they hiding? Got to get some of them on the show. Also, if you want to ask a millionaire question, we've got a speak pipe on our website, and you can record that on there, or obviously, you can just uh, reach out, send us an email. Millionairesinveilatgmail gmail.com. As always, please leave a rating and review. Y'all have done a phenomenal job on Spotify. I don't know where it's come from. I don't know if it's a Joe Rogan effect or what, but uh, Spotify has taken off the last couple weeks. So appreciate those that are you know reviewing or listening there. I don't know what's what uh, happening, but uh, yeah, we got one from. Uh, actually, I am not even sure how to print. Dollar dollar seven. Blah blah blah. Anyway, it said look forward to new episodes released weekly. I've been listening for over a year now and I've listened to almost every episode back to twenty nineteen. Plan to listen to them all. So I'm trying to get uh to a thousand ratings by the end of the year on iTunes. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Kyle. Kyle, do you want to give us a little about your background or what you're up to you now?
0: Sure, yeah, I can do that. I'm uh I'm a 29-year-old Canadian farm boy. Uh, I've got a wife and an 18-month-old daughter, and uh, we're living and farming in Western Canada. So, um, I guess I can give you a little history of kind of my work in life, uh, how I got to where I'm at, and what and what I'm doing now. Like I said, I I grew up on the farm, uh, Canadian farm kid. I learned how to do a pile of stuff. You know, I learned how to operate equipment at eight or nine years old. Learned how to fix stuff. Get my hands dirty that kind of thing so that was a that was a really good way to grow up and then as soon as I got my driver's license when I was 16 and I could get a job and get get to and from work uh, I started a job at the local lumber yard loading people's trailers and loading trucks uh, simple work but it was tons of fun I really enjoyed it I was making uh, making 10 bucks an hour working you know four hour shifts after school or whatever so 40 bucks a few times a week and uh, just started socking that away and and saving it, I was probably saving 80% of what I was making at that time, if not more. And I was hanging out with a friend one time and he took me down into his room and he, he pulled out a wad of cash and he showed me it was like three or 400 bucks. I mean, it wasn't a significant amount of money, but he told me it's all tips from delivering pizzas. And I was just blown away. He said, and that's on top of what I'm making, you know, an hour, which was more than I was making in an hour. So. I uh, immediately applied to a few, you know, pizza places and got a delivery driver job and started doing that, working for tips. And I was making like, I don't know, 25 bucks an hour, 25 to 30 bucks an hour through high school and in, into uh, college. Between my my wages and tips, which was really really awesome, and I, I just saved a ton of it. I, you know, I live at home with mom and dad and I didn't really have any major expenses, so saved and saved and saved. And then after high school. I took a two year degree or two year program for at a local technology institute. And that was good. It wasn't my favorite thing? I don't know, I don't know if it was the best path for me, but everybody told me go to school and and get yourself some paperwork and that I think was really important for my parents' generation. So I did that and it was okay. It was an experience anyways. I definitely definitely got something out of it. It didn't cost me a whole bunch. Mom and dad paid for my first year, so that was covered. and then uh, I applied for. A ton of scholarships for my second year and I got two or three of them I actually made more in scholarships than what I spent on the school year which was pretty cool I think I came out a couple thousand dollars ahead on that one and same thing living at home uh, working all through college and saving money and after that I uh, kind of puts around for a little bit looked for stuff to do and kind of through a friend of a friend I got hired onto this corporate position, uh, oil field work. It was a a local testing facility for for pipeline equipment. Uh, It was a really, really cool job, and I was super excited about uh, that path and where that was going, and three months into that, they called me into the office and said, uh, we're going to end your probationary period today. We don't want you to stay on with us, and they didn't give me any reasons or ifs or whys or anything like that. They just gave me a a little bit of a severance check and sent me on my way. So, that was a bit of a, a flip upside down for me. Kind of everything was going to plan, just how I expected it to go. And somebody told me that I wasn't allowed to go there anymore. So going on from that, I kind of decided that that was, that was it for me, working for somebody else and, and building somebody else's dream. I was going to figure out how to do it on my own and be my own boss. So, uh, yeah, from there, I, I just kind of took on all kinds of stuff. In, in my early 20s, I was doing – I started – uh a drone sales and service business for agricultural drones i was selling agricultural fertilizers and supplies i was driving truck for a, a fella at a feed lot and helping on the farm and uh, and then doing whatever else i could find on the doing else whatever uh, whatever else i could find on the uh, on the side just to keep myself busy i was working tons and tons of hours i mean you know playing a little bit on the sides but Yeah, I definitely took advantage of the time where I didn't have any, you know, other major responsibilities or anything. I was still living at home, and you know, I kept saving money. And then when the feedlot manager I was working with moved away, he offered the the portion of the business that he was up for sale for us to buy, which was the trucking and the and the corral cleaning and stuff. So I'd saved about fifty thousand dollars by that time, and I used that cash to get myself started with that business. I bought a couple. Trucks and trailers, and started doing some custom farming work. And uh, it didn't take me long to figure out, you know, if I could make profit of uh, $300 on one truck and $600 a day on two trucks, and you know, if I get three or four trucks, and I could make nine or $1,200 a day, and I could really multiply my income that way. So that led to me purchasing more equipment, more trucks and trailers, and and eventually more uh, heavy equipment to for whatever to fit the need for whatever i was doing and uh just multiplying my income that way and that worked me into to generating a whole whole bunch more i think than i could have just worked and done uh working hourly by myself so that kind of takes me to where i'm at today i'm I'm still doing that and uh and that's a good little business for us and we're uh, we're enjoying that it's lots of work it's lots of hours but uh, but it's it's fulfilling and i enjoy it i do uh I enjoy the work that i do for sure it's it's dirty it's not always uh, it's not always pretty, but it's uh, it's up my alley. It's something I enjoy for sure.
1: Good for you. So, what is your net worth today? Uh,
0: we just you know we did our net worth calculation in November, and we just crossed the the million dollar mark. Where I calculated, you know, depending on what all the equipment's valued at, I calculated it to be about one million and twenty five thousand or something like that.
1: So, we'll call it a million. Nice doing the million dollar holler. I like it. Holler. <laughs> nice. So what's the breakup of, of the million bucks? Yeah, so
0: for the million, uh, about 400 k is in equipment. I tried to evaluate all that pretty uh, pretty conservatively um, with the market the last couple of years. The equipment prices, especially for used stuff, just with the, the COVID and the production slowdown on new equipment, the, lots of the values have held pretty well in on stuff that normally depreciates. So that's been kind of nice. Uh, some of it's gone up in value. In fact, based on looking around for what other stuff's going for, I've uh, got two hundred thousand in long-term investments, uh, all registered stuff, similar to what you guys would have for like IRAs. We have uh, tax-free savings account and uh, registered retirement savings accounts up here. Uh, we've got about a hundred thousand equity in our home, and then um, about three hundred k in cash that I've moved into uh, some high-interest savings accounts that uh, know that the interest rates are a little bit more reasonable that I plan to use that to pay off the house when our mortgage term comes up in 12 months or so here so that's where it is
1: and when you say you you're going to use that to pay off the house are you on a on a short term loan that you're going to have to either refinance or pay off or, or what, what does that entail?
0: Yeah. So when we uh, when we signed up for the mortgage, it was a it was a 25 year amortization and a 55 month term that we will renegotiate after 55 months. So that'll be coming up uh, in the first part of next year.
1: And you plan on just paying off the house then at that point?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, if the interest rates drop back down to where they are, we might consider keeping a chunk of that money in investments. But, you know, with six or seven or who knows how high the interest rates are going to get here, they seem to be still climbing. We have the cash around to pay it off so we don't have to worry about it if the interest rates are too high or you know, at six percent I'm gonna pay it off. I'm not making anything I haven't been making that much in investments in the last couple of years. So I'd I'd rather I'd prefer not to have the risk. I know it's not it's not something that a lot of the millionaires do. Like listening to the show, lots of people will, will carry the mortgage at, at low interest rates and invest in other stuff. But I think of it as, you know, if I had the house paid off, I'd never take out a home equity line on it to go invest in something else. So in essence, it's the same thing by not paying it off and investing it somewhere else. I would prefer to have it gone. And then, you know, that's, that's not money that I'm going to spend on a toy or something else.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to think about the psychology of a mortgage that you bring up where if you had it paid off, you wouldn't go and borrow against it today to have the cash in the bank that you have now. But you're in that position. And you want to go take that cash and essentially pay it off. Why not just do it now instead of in a year from now?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in a year from now, like if the interest rates are going to be back down at one and a half or 2%, I mean, it might be beneficial enough for me to keep it invested somewhere else. I've just stuck it in like uh, the, my interest rates on it, like 2.7 and, uh, the high interest savings account is like four and a quarter or something right now. So even after I pay taxes on that, I'm not really losing any money. At least I have the option when the time comes up to go either direction with it. I can, um, I can make a decision in
1: the future, you know,
0: knowing more 12 months from now than what I know now.
1: How much do you decide to reinvest in your business versus maybe use for other things or other investments?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, at at the start of the business, obviously, everything was was going back into it. And I actually lived at home for the first few years that I was doing it and filling up my mom and dad's yard with all the equipment. They were super happy about that. Uh, But now I've pretty much got everything that I need to do the job. Um, You know, every now and then something will come up where I could use a different piece of equipment or another something to do a different kind of job. So I keep quite a bit of cash around available for that or... uh, or funds accessible to do that but i'm definitely in the last year year or two i've been starting to to peel off a little bit of the money and enjoy some of it as income and uh, and play with a little bit of it too i've been a a pretty pretty frugal saver you know for the majority of my 20s so just in the last couple of years i'm starting to get into a few more expensive hobbies and trying to enjoy some of my time that way what what
1: expensive hobbies are we speaking about?
0: So my big one right now, I uh, have have a couple local farmers that have some airplanes, and they took me for a ride, and they got me hooked. So I got my pilot's license, and I've been enjoying that and building some time and and developing that skill. And then uh, in the winter, I like to go to the hills a little bit and do some mountain snowmobiling and and stuff like that, which is which is really cool. If if the listeners, you know, if you've never done that, you have a chance to. Take this little thing up to the top of the mountain where there's eight feet of snow and and it's just bottomless and you can you know you can go anywhere. It's such a cool experience. We try and get out a couple times a year and do that as well.
2: Do you have a plane or are you leasing a plane, using your friends' planes?
0: Yeah, so for now I'm just renting. One of my goals is to get to a point where I feel like I can afford a plane and get into something. I'm probably close to that point where I where I could do it. I still feel like it's a little bit too parasitic on my income uh and my wealth building to afford one right now like uh the economics of airplanes are interesting because the planes themselves don't lose value but uh it's your annual operating costs that that really kill you your uh you know your hangers probably gonna be three or four hundred bucks a month and your you know your insurance and annuals. like they say i I don't know what the costs are in the states but they say up here you know you're you're ten thousand dollars a year into it before you turn the key and then Once you and then it's, you know, it's going to be another 30 or 40 bucks an hour cost for you to fly it on top of that, depending on what you're flying. So the cost of the airplane doesn't really scare me, but the operating costs. And if I could, uh, you know, find a good partner or two to get in on something and and split those costs up, then that's probably something that would make it a little bit more appealing for me to jump in. You know, I'd I'd be ready for that now, probably for me to do it on my own right now. uh, I just I just feel like it's just a little bit too parasitic on some of my other goals, some of my net worth building goals.
2: Is there a number you feel like you'd feel comfortable uh, pulling the trigger on?
0: I don't know. Like, uh, like I, I feel like we're almost there. I don't, it's more, more of a feeling for me than a number, I guess it's, that's probably not really good math, but you know, five years ago I started considering the option of buying a plane and I, I felt like there's no way I could do it right now. You know, it would be such a burden on my finances, but, uh, I'm getting to the point now where it feels like, you know, if I did it, it wouldn't kill me I could probably afford it. But I think it would slow me down too much and where I want to get so and I think it's a cash flow thing too. So where I'm getting, you know, maybe I have another year or two with comfortable income or similar income and cash flow to what I've been having, where I'm not buying any new equipment or expanding the business too much more where I'll, I'll feel comfortable that that's a step I can take and get into something. And like I said, they don't really lose value. Most of them are You know 40 or 50 years old and they're selling for more than they sold out of the factory so i guess once (laughs) once i feel like i can afford it the risk to buy it is is pretty low you can always sell it again if you got caught so as soon as i feel like i can afford the the monthly bills
2: you you know what i feel like i've heard the song before i think that jace thought he was going to buy a tesla at a certain mark and now he says he still doesn't feel like he can buy a Tesla. <laughs> and the mark keeps <laughs> moving. So I've I've heard this before. So you said you have some other net worth goals in mind. So w- what are those?
0: Yeah, so my, my original net worth goal um, was a million dollars by 30. So we did that a year early. And then originally, I'd wanted to be financially retired by 35. And I think I'm stretching that to 40. Um, just because I'm I feel like I want to start, you know, now that we've got the kids going and and uh, and I'm really enjoying some of the hobbies and stuff, I'm just going to slow down on that stuff a little bit. You know, there's no race to, to get there by 40. There's lots of life to live after that. There's no point working my first 20 years or my first 40 years away and then trying to enjoy it all at the end. I'm just deciding to pace myself a little bit more. But uh, financial retirement by 40, I think, is a, a reasonable goal for me.
2: And what does financial retirement look like for you? Or sound like or what are you envisioning there
0: yeah so the way i see it now i mean with a million dollar net worth i could pay myself a hundred grand a year if i wanted to run it down to zero with with no growth and i'd be fine for 10 years um so i think probably three million dollars outside of our personal residence paid off would be a good enough net worth that's that's 30 years at 100 grand assuming no growth and i mean you guys interview millionaires all the time. You know that three million dollars doesn't often just sit uh, sit dormant. Most guys are growing that in one way or another. So that would be, I'm sure, a very comfortable number to be sitting at.
2: And I might have missed this at the beginning, but do you have uh, other employees? Are you working by yourself, or do you have another uh, partner in your in your company?
0: Yeah. So uh, just my wife and I owning the business. We do employ five or six people throughout the year to operate the equipment. So we're operating you know, I can operate four or five pieces of equipment in a day and multiply my income that way.
2: So retirement for you probably looks like maintaining the business or would it be selling the business at that point?
0: Yeah, you know, probably just changing business. Uh, I hope to take a chunk, you know, take over a chunk of the farm one day. Most most of us farmers don't quit till we're, you know, not able to physically do it anymore by any means. So I'll, I'll probably just rework into, into something else. I don't, I don't think I'll do this forever, but for now, I'm I'm definitely happy doing it. I don't don't have a retirement age or retirement uh, like a retirement age goal when I want to be done. I'll I'll probably I get a lot of of joy and fulfillment out of working, um, so I'll probably work until I can't anymore to some capacity. It it'll be maybe more. It might it might be different what I'm doing, especially as you know my my body gets older and operating equipment can be hard on the body so as i get older i'll maybe move more into management or maybe a whole different area altogether it's it's really hard to say i'm uh, I, I like to look you know outlook 5 or 10 years but at the same time i'm i'm happy to kind of go with the flow and and take the opportunities that present themselves to me and i find that you never really know where you end up and you can plan all you want but do some macro planning and other than that i just kind of kind of take things as they come
2: I've heard you say we a lot throughout this interview process. So what I'm, I'm hearing we, I'm, I'm feeling this is your family. What kind of role is your family playing uh, for you throughout this financial journey?
0: Yeah, so we uh, we have a bit more of a traditional family structure. So I am the sole, I mean, you know, the, the wife is getting into a little bit of the office work and, and doing some of that stuff at home, but mostly, you know, caretaking, taking care of the family taking care of the house making sure that it's uh that we're good on that front um and hopefully i'm able to keep generating enough income so she can stay home and and raise our kids
2: and are you involving your kids at all in your business do they help with any of anything along the way
0: Oh, definitely. yeah. Um, I mean, uh, my daughter's only eighteen months, so she's uh, she's not quite to the helping stage yet, but that's, I think one of the coolest things that I got. One of the coolest benefits that I got growing up was was being a kid on the farm because you get so much hands-on knowledge and you can really go to work with dad and and see what it's about um, what going to work is all about. That's, you know, growing up, I learned that I learned a ton of stuff. I kind of mentioned at the start there that, you know, I learned a ton of skills from growing up on the farm, but I also learned that there's a lot more than eight hours in a day to to get stuff done. It doesn't necessarily have to be a tedious, hardworking day, but if you're, you know, if you're busy, you can be busy from the time that you wake up in the morning and and the time till the time that you go to bed and, and productive that whole time in some fashion or another.
2: She's not helpful at 18 months. That is the perfect age for pulling out Tupperware and spilling it all over the floor <laughs> while your wife is cooking. <laughs>
0: well if you put it that way she's a professional <laughs> At what she does. I <laughs> so yeah.
2: and are you are you also farming or just uh, renting out or or having your equipment working?
0: Yeah, know uh, I do help on the farm when I can. Um, I don't have a lot of personal investment in the farm yet of my own stuff. Hopefully going to be getting more into that in the next few years. But I've just really been focusing on building my own income generation and, and kind of getting myself a start and then um, staying involved there where I can to help out. And and uh, like most of that work I do on the farm is, is for no pay. It's just to be a part of
2: it. Well, that's great. It's super hard work on the farm. I've done a lot of uh, farm tours myself being uh, involved in nutrition and agriculture. So I really respect uh, everyone who's working to to feed our nations. So thanks for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Getting to this 3000000 million-ish house paid for by the time you're 40, what does your asset allocation look like the way that you envision it at that point?
0: Yeah, so definitely, I mean, we've got like 40% of our our asset allocation and equipment right now, and that's all stuff that's going down in value. So long term, I mean, that's not a not a great play. Uh, I mean, the way I see it, I'm I'm so early in the process that it's it's okay for me to have that there. I basically, you know, bought myself a job. But as we get further into it, I definitely would like to diversify into some other stuff i've started kind of chatting around with some friends that are in real estate and maybe seeing what that could look like i don't have a lot of desire to landlord or or renovate or flip houses or anything like that so it would have to be a little bit more of a distant approach or a, a group approach or something to uh something in that matter but i think i'd, I'd like to get into that i'm not sure how the markets are going to, going to go in the next couple of years but i don't know if it's the time to get in right now but uh, definitely started looking and chatting about that yeah, some of the, the mutual funds and the investments have been good. That money's, you know, a step away, so it's a little bit harder to spend. And it does grow a little bit for me, so I'll probably move stuff over into there, possibly purchase some some farmland and get into more of the farm equipment as those opportunities come up, if they do come up.
1: Do your friends and family know of your wealth and success at such a young age? Not too many. I told my parents...
0: Uh, So they're aware. And uh, one friend who who lives, you know, 800 kilometers away or 400 miles away. So he's he's a little bit more removed. But I've kind of been breaking into and thinking about doing some financial coaching or um, teaching for for younger folks, high school or college age students. I think that's something I'd love to get into one day, you know, maybe five years from now, maybe I start on it soon something i kind of been cooking up so uh that's one one direction we might
1: go do, do you plan to continue to to contribute to the TFSA going forward
0: yeah definitely so our TFSAs are um are limited you know so much a year so uh i we max out mine and my wife's every year to the maximum amount and we allocate those in a little bit more of an aggressive investment so that hurt us hurt us a bit in 2021 but uh, theoretically, I mean, the more aggressive growth being not taxed is, uh, is where we want that. And then we have our RRSPs, our, our Registered Retirement Savings Plan, uh, which is our pre-tax investments in a little bit more conservative funds.
1: When you were dating and early in marriage, what were the financial conversations like between you and your, your wife?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We actually come from uh, very different financial backgrounds. Um Money was something that we talked a fair amount about in, in our house, especially with the farming and stuff. We got a pretty good handle on on economics and uh, markets and how things work, buying and selling and the value of a dollar. And, uh, and my wife came from the city and her family didn't talk too much about finances and, and whatnot. So lots of it was hopefully me teaching, not not preaching. For some of our stuff, and uh, and my wife's really come a long way in learning kind of the the methods and and the strategy that I've been using, and or now we've been using, to uh, grow. and And she's really now that she's starting to see the results of what we're doing, she's really on board, and she's getting more and more interested and invested in in how some of this part works. Um, originally, I pretty well did all of that, and just in the last. I'd say year or so, she's really asking a lot more questions and, and getting a better grasp on it. So through our dating, it was it was more, you know, I, I tried really hard not to be overbearing on the stuff. She uh, she had some student loans coming into our relationship. So I wanted to uh, she was still going to school when we first started dating. So, I, you know, I just tried to start with trying to get her to understand, you know, really what those loans were costing and how much money that was and how long it was going to take it off. Uh, we started, or how, how long it was going to take to pay it off. And, uh, and we, so we started with that kind of stuff. And then, and now that we're married, I mean, we have, we have totally shared expenses. Everything's together. And, uh, and yeah, it's been, it's been good that way. It's just been a growing thing. Definitely my strength. She's, she's really come a long way in that. So that's cool. I've heard this tune before. You're, are you the the Dave Ramsey nerd and in, uh, in your relationship?
1: M- more, oh, did more. I did I get the
2: Dave Rams did I get the Dave Ramsey book? Our first Christmas together, I sure did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've come we've That's come a long great place to start. Yeah, we've come a long way from from those days. But uh, yeah, it's kind of funny hearing you talk about this a little bit because uh, as as my wife mentioned you know earlier about the fact that i had this you know i'll buy a tesla when and then i got to that point and far surpassed that point i still feel like i can't buy that tesla yet just uh not not ready to write that check just yet but it's it's funny to hear you describe these things as i feel like this is kind of to to some degree how how our relationship is as unfolded as it relates to finances as well so it's kind of interesting how did you gain an interest in personal finance
0: man that's a good question you know we, when I remember working in the shop when I was young and and dad would have the Dave Ramsey show on and you know he'd say "Man, you should listen to this guy he's got some really good stuff to say and I definitely did not uh for a long time and then I can't remember at what point but I started listening to the Dave Ramsey stuff and it just kind of kind of took off for me a little bit at that point. I mean, I always had a bit more of an interest in the economic side. I remember when I was young, we have a, I don't know if you guys have 4-H in the States, but we have a 4-H program here, which is kind of agricultural training for kids. So you can, you know, you can raise a steer or you can do horse 4-H or whatever. And I really wanted to do, the Steer 4H, which is, and my, and my parents said like, no, we're not going to put you in it because you just want to do it for the money. Because, you know, you could, somebody's going to give you a cow for next to nothing and you're not going to pay for the feed and you're going to sell it for, you know, <laughs> a ridiculous price because you're going to brush it and comb it and, and whatever. And I really wanted to do that. And, and mom said, no, I don't think that's a good idea because you just want to do it for the money. But, you know, now I think if we were in that position again, I think she'd be OK with it because that's, you know, that's how I see the world. I maybe always have kind of dollars and cents in terms of what's what's valuable and what's not i mean every time i make a decision it's what what's the value of this you know I, I i never go i hardly ever go out to the movie theater because i can do the same thing at home for the fraction of the you know such a small fraction of the cost like everything to me is is value and i've just always seen the world that way
2: have you um, started any accounts for your daughter
0: we have yeah actually uh for when she was born somebody gave us a 50 dollars check with her name on it so I, I was forced to start a bank account but uh but we did also um we have resps here which would be similar to your 529s with a a government match contribution up to like 2500 dollars. so we've been maxing that out for her so far so uh We'll max it out for her, maybe until the next one comes, and then we'll max that out for them the next couple times, and they can uh, they can have that grow. Mom and dad had done that for us, and I had three or four thousand dollars by the time I got to uh, to college that I was able to use. It wasn't a pile, but it had doubled in the time that from when they put it in to when we got to use it. So hopefully, whatever we invest for for them starting now is is going to do well for them over the next eighteen years or so.
2: I think I see some steers in their future as well.
0: Yeah, there definitely might be. Um, they're gonna get the the. I don't know how much is good to talk about the money with your kids. I mean, all at an appropriate level, I guess, for their age. But uh, they're definitely gonna be gonna be getting the financial training <laughs> as they grow, you know, you know, to some extent. Hopefully, hopefully, I don't bugger them up.
2: <laughs> no, I think I think that's good. Honestly, my parents never really talked about money. I remember asking my mom how expensive something was. And she would tell me more than your allowance. And, and so I, I really, uh, my dad was a physician and, and my parents just kind of, uh, and he had some other side businesses going on as well. And, and he didn't really discuss money with us kids. And then my mom was, has always been uh, a homemaker. We have six kids in our family. My oldest brother has special needs and she never talked about money. And so I was kind of financially illiterate in a lot of ways. Um, and so I wish that I would have been raised with a lot more intention in terms of teaching finance. You
0: know, that's something uh, when we were quite young, mom set us up with our bank accounts, um, you know, probably six or seven years old, like bank accounts that we could have access to. And anything that was was extra, I uh, we said, well, if if you want it, then you can go to your bank account and get the money out and we'll come back and buy it. And they gave us, you know, an allowance like $50 a month or something when we were we were growing up and uh, nine times out of the 10, I would choose to just leave the money in the bank. We could see it grow and we could see it pile up. And, you know, by the time, like by the time I started working, I had three or $4,000 saved that I hadn't spent on candy and little plastic things. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of four and all four of us sort of have, very similar mindset around money all of us are are pretty decent at saving I mean some of us are a little better than others but for the most part we all had pretty good control of our money so that that approach obviously worked um from from um, anything anything extra I mean obviously we were we were well clothed and we were well fed and you know we got a little bit of stuff at our birthday and Christmas but you know if we wanted stuff in between it wasn't just mom I want it and sure we'll throw it in the card it was okay well let's go to the bank and, and get some cash out and then By the time you held that cash in your hand and looked to trade it for the thing, it's like, well, maybe
1: maybe I want to keep the cash instead. So I think that that worked well for us. So, Kyle, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes you've ever purchased?
0: Oh, man. Uh, Well, I mean, work boots are a couple hundred bucks. But for uh, for shoes in high school, I probably spent one hundred and twenty bucks on a pair of fancy DC shoes. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? I took our crew out for dinner for Christmas party this year there was five of us and that cost me about 600 bucks so really not too bad I told them to told them to do their worst and they took it easy on me so that was nice uh the wife and I have been out for some 200 hundred dollar meals for anniversaries and stuff but uh other than that we very seldom eat out what's your favorite thing to splurge on? Well, definitely the airplane thing. I mean, I can blow <laughs> four or five hundred bucks in a day pretty easy doing that. And sometimes it kills me to know that it's going, but the the value to me is worth it. You know, I I think about it as the big picture and building and and learning the skills. So. But you can definitely spend a lot of money in a hurry there.
1: What was a key lesson you learned from your childhood? That's a good question.
0: You know what? When we were walking out of the the grocery stores or whatever, they always had those little twisty things outside, you know, on the way out, where you could put a quarter in and you get a little plastic thing. And every time we walked by, we we'd shout at mom that we wanted one, and she she told us no, they're just they're just junk. You don't need that in the house. And, after she told us enough times, we finally got it. And now I don't have any of that. I'm very careful about what I spend on stuff that I'm, you know, only going to use once or never going to use at all. Or I'm, I'm very careful about the value of what I spend on.
1: What's been your favorite bucket list item that you've done so far? Man, you know... Uh...
0: Last summer I bought myself one of those paramotors I don't know if you've ever seen one of them they've got that you strap strap the fan on your back and you have a paragliding wing and you run into the sky and fly away and that's something when I saw it online it's like I have to do this so I went out and, and got myself set up and trained and and bought one and I mean that's a pretty cool bucket list item that I get to keep doing over and over again. How expensive was that? Uh, that cost me about, to get into it, I was a little bit under 20000 with training and all the extras.
1: I'm sensing a theme that, that Kyle likes to get up in the air and fly. <laughs> <laughs> that I do. I like to see things from the air,
0: looked out. Everything makes a lot more sense up there.
1: You yeah. can bug me. <laughs> you, can, you can watch over the farm. I get it. I got it. It's crop, crop checking right off. Yep, yep. Is there, is there a bucket list experience that you're still looking forward to? You know, I keep telling myself I'm going to go skydiving.
0: I think that's on everybody, everybody's bucket list item. And every time, you know, I, compared to some of the money I spend on flying around, it's really not that much money, but I just can't bring myself
1: to spend it. That's funny. Luck, skill, or hard work? How would you rank them? That's a really good question.
0: I would say luck, 5 to 10%, maybe, skills would be the 40 and 50 percent is just get up and go do it
2: i've got one last one for you when did you feel like you could afford moving out of your parents house
0: (laughs) so funny story i i really had no no fire to get up and move i was happy you know i was I uh, work on equipment. Dad has a nice heated shop at home, so I was comfortable. I go outside to 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 work, and work was right there. And I, I haven't really thought about getting out and, and purchasing a house at all. And then and then one day, Dad said, "Well, there's a there's this house for sale on the market. And maybe we should go look at it." And I took that as a as a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, uh, and we went and looked at it and that one didn't go, but you know, I had a, an offer on a house within a month after that. So he knew what he was doing.
2: You got the eviction notice.
0: (laughs) I did. I got a very subtle eviction notice.
2: And sorry, was this before or after you were, this was before you were married?
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I moved out in, it was a year or two before we got married. It was, I think it was a year before we got engaged. Once I had the, once I had the house and, and everything lined up, then I felt like we could move on to the next step. So we weren't going to be moving into my parents' basement.
2: That's a good call.
1: <laughs> what mistakes have you made along the way that you would caution others against? Man, the uh, the biggest one
0: that stands out to me, which, may, which isn't for everybody, but um, those two years I spent going to school, I think I probably... I mean, I am where I am because of what I did, so it's really hard to say. But I think the opportunity cost, um, like I'd mentioned, school didn't really cost me much uh, out of pocket, but the opportunity cost for what I what I could have made in those really early years, you know, from from 18 and 19, 18 to 20 years old, you know, there, I probably lost about $80,000 worth of earning potential going to school that I could have that I could have grown, um, you know, over the past 10 years, another 80,000, especially when back then, you know, I, I only had 40 or 50 or whatever getting started. So um, that's not for everybody. Obviously, you know, if you want to do something, it's going to take school to get there. I think it's a really good option. But uh, my parents just said, go to school and get paperwork because that's all that matters. And, and I don't know if that it was an experience. It wasn't a total waste, but I don't know if that was maybe as valuable as what it cost me, what I could have been doing, learning how to do something else.
1: Last words of advice for somebody who's just starting out,
0: man, that's my favorite question. If I could, uh, if I could spend the whole thing talking about that, I would, if I could sit down with every, every 18 to 25 year old, <laughs> I have a, I have a list. So I'll just rattle off a few things. I think the biggest thing is just start, like, don't wait for your parents or the government or your teachers or anybody to, to tell you what to do or how to get started or, or, or or give you instructions like just go start working on yourself and and start saving money from your very first paycheck like stick it away and and pay yourself first huge mindset thing for me going through everything uh maybe i've developed it a bit over the years but definitely been a been a running theme for me through my my 20s is you know i think about the future and i live in the now and to expand on that a little bit more i mean every every decision i make is is analytical on You know, whether it's a cup of coffee or or a vacation or buying a a new toy or or whatever, I'm thinking about, you know, how much joy is this bringing me today versus what it could cost me in the future. And the second part of that is living and now. I mean, I do really enjoy what I'm doing, I, I I enjoy pretty much every day. I mean, there's always you know the odd rough day here or there, but um, I mean my outlook on life. I enjoy when I'm at work. I look forward to the work week. I look forward to the weekends. I look forward to our holidays. I think the uh, I, you know I have some friends that they can't wait to get away from work to go on you know to go on this trip, and that's what all they're thinking about for months. You know, you're always living in the future that way, or the people that. You know, I've got other friends that aren't thinking past Friday and, and don't have any outlook. And then everything's a surprise when it comes up and it's a lot harder to live that way. So yeah, think about the future, but live in the now and enjoy what you're doing every day because you only get to do it once. And, and uh, it's short. Like I found my 20s just just flew by and I'm sure 30s are going to be even faster and faster after that. Don't be afraid to start at the bottom for somebody who's just getting out of high school or, or whatever. Lots of my friends, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to do the sweeping the floor work. I don't want to do the, the the basic jobs or whatever. I want to start here. And it's like, well, that's where you're going to find your opportunities, you know, when you, when you get out. Don't be afraid to. Just go try stuff. Like I'd mentioned there, I, I was doing four or five things at, at a time and one of those opportunities took off for me. So just go out and and take all the opportunities that you practically can. And yeah, don't be afraid to to start somewhere. I mean, you don't want to stay there, but don't be afraid to start at the bottom to get your foot in the door. Never do it for the money. And you're going into a job interview. You should never be thinking about what, the, what your employer can do for you. It's all about what you can do for them and just do it because you enjoy it. Find something that you enjoy. I mean, I've done between Lumberyard and and Pizza Delivery Driver and Waiter and and what I'm doing now. I mean, I've enjoyed all those things. Maybe that's just a personality thing or maybe I've learned to enjoy it all. Never, Never do it for the money. Do it because it's something you like and it's something you're passionate about and the money will come. If you do a good job, never underestimate the value of your time. I think as a young person, your time is so plentiful. And you know, if you have if you have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank, then then spending ten of them doesn't feel like anything to you. But you know, when you're when you're 18 and, and your time feels plentiful, then to waste six or eight hours a day, you know, staring at the TV, playing video games, I mean, that's fine every once in a while. But if you're if you're spending like, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week, that time when you're young is so incredibly valuable, like really take advantage of the time when you don't have a lot of expenses and don't have a lot of responsibilities and just save. Um, even if you don't know where that money's going yet, just save and and have it ready for an opportunity if it presents itself, because that's really what kind of slingshotted me along is, is I just waited with 50 grand in the bank. And when an opportunity came along, then I was ready to, to make it go. And then the last thing, just always be improving yourself. Like I'm always working on something. That's what I love about the aviation thing. I mean, it's, it's such a neat skill and just, you know, from one airplane to the next, you can learn this to the paramotor to, to whatever. I mean, there's so many different aspects of that. You can always be learning, um, guys in that field, they're learning till they're done, till they're done with that. And I, I guess I'd make one more, always have, a. have always lived with a lifestyle as a percentage of my income. So so if I'm making, you know, 50 grand a year, I thought, well, somebody can live on 30. So I'll live on 30. I'll live like I make 30 and I'll save the extra 20. And now that my my income has grown, I still live like I make, you know, 60 percent of my income and, and I save the rest. So, uh, you know, and, and it's very it's a very comfortable life that way and and we never have to worry about being tight like I've never been paycheck to paycheck I don't know what that's like so just operate out ahead and and live like the the common saying goes live on less than you make I mean that's it's it's really not what you make it's what you spend like that's I know it's cliché but it- it's cliche for, it's true. It is really true. Just live on less than you make.
1: Awesome. That's Kyle with a net worth of a million dollars. Thanks for having the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This has been, uh, this has been fun. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website,
2: millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.